Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, this weekend, we're going to start a a new series of messages that actually uh, came about in a little bit different way. Let me just talk to you for a little bit this morning before we get into today's message to kind of give you a little, little bit of background on where I am today and how this message or this series of messages came to be. Uh, I normally prepare most of my messages messages fairly uh, uh, a great deal in advance, generally speaking, because I like to have a sense of where we're going and be able to bring things around what God is speaking to us as a church family. And and I uh, had a series that I'd planned for uh, starting this weekend because we concluded Jonah last weekend, and I'd been uh, actually prepared a, a series that had all been laid out. And my normal schedule in terms of just my work week is I go in to the office on Monday morning early and I usually will have my notes for the upcoming weekend on Monday morning that I start going over to prepare for that weekend so that we can get all the scriptures ready and all the things necessary for the screens and your, your bulletins and those kind of things that are necessary. So that's always my first duty on a Monday morning. And so this past Monday morning I went in, pulled out the notes that I'd planned for this week and um, actually for the next five, four weeks following after this week. And as I began to look over the notes, I thought, this is, a, this is a good message. There's nothing wrong with the message. But I could not get away from the fact that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and said, I want you to preach that. I want you to preach something different. Now, if you're a public speaker and you've got everything planned and you're ready to speak on something and you're starting to prepare for it and get ready, you don't like changing directions, okay? You kind of know where you're going and have a sense of where you're going and your heart and mind are sort of always already heading in that direction. But I, I could not shake the feeling inside of me This is good, but it's not what I want you to preach right now. I have something else. And so I was struggling to try to, for for probably close to an hour, maybe half an hour, to try to determine what it was that God was speaking to my heart. And over that uh, 30 minutes to 45-minute time that I was sort of struggling and prayerfully walking around my office, just saying, God, what are you trying to say to me? What is it that you would have me to preach on? And in a sequence of sort of processing things, I I felt a title land in my heart that is the title of this series that's How to Stay Sane in a Crazy World. I want to talk to you for the next several weeks, this weekend all the way through the end of November uh, until we get to Christmas. I want to talk to us about how to stay sane in a crazy world. And to say that we live in a crazy world is really kind of a dramatic understatement. I think we would all agree on that. Think about just the last three to five years as a culture, all the things we've gone through, the pandemic, the uh, political turmoil that we faced as a nation, all the global things that have been going on, the uh, multiplication of mass shootings. We had one this week that, of course, is very disturbing when we see that kind of thing happen and people losing their lives, the war in the Middle East happening, rumors of wars, other people that might get involved and just the economic upheavals that we feel, not only ourselves but globally. And these are the kind of things that are pressing upon people, not just people out in the world, but Christian people as well, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. And I believe that we could easily say that that stress is sort of at peak levels right now. A lot of people are feeling a lot of stress. And many signs, I believe, are pointing to the last days. Now, I'm just talking. This is not my message. I'm just talking to you right now, okay? So you need to just sit back because this is going to be longer than normal today, okay? Just going to take my time today, so I promise you I'll have you out by 2 or 3 this afternoon for sure. But uh, 
I'm going to go longer than usual. I'm going to tell you that up front so that you're ready for it. I normally preach about 30, 35 minutes or so and have you out pretty close to the top of the hour. You're going to be here longer today. If you need to leave, go ahead and do it now. We'll, I'll stand up and boo at you on the way out the door, but you're welcome to do it if you'd like to. But I, I just feel like we need to be washed by the water of the Word today. Okay. And I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to rush through things. And sometimes you just need to be in church a little longer, okay? I've been in some four-hour church services before. Any of you ever been in some of those church services before? Okay, that's not going to happen today. Okay, don't, don't get nervous. But we are going to take our time today. I, I don't consider myself to be an expert in terms of prophecy. I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet. Never claimed to be a prophet. I'm a pastor. And so as a pastor, it's my job to pastor people through things that we go through. I do believe in the importance of understanding prophetic events, and, and I do study and am somewhat aware of prophetic events. I have my perspective in terms of how the last days are going to happen. It's not my purpose today to talk about that, but it is my purpose today to remind all of us that the signs of the last days are very much upon us right now. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, this is all, almost 2,000 years ago, and says, but mark this, there will be... Terrible times in the last days. Now, again, Paul is speaking last days as a biblical term that relates to all the days since the ascension of Jesus. So we're living in the last days right now. And so Paul makes this, this statement to Timothy to us as well. Just be aware of the fact that the, the closer we get to the last days, the more terrible life is going to be in the world around us. It's going to be a stressful time. There will be terrible times in the last days. I took the time to uh, actually uh, to study this word terrible, to understand it. Some uh, people use uh, different words for that in their translation. Uh, but this word terrible is a word that means to experience violence or fierceness. It was actually a word, is a word in the Greek language that's used for demonization. There will be demonized times in the last days. And I think that we can look around our world today, and, and although we see evil, that we can see evil that goes beyond human evil, we're dealing with evil that is demonic in nature. We're living in a world where demons are activated. Demons, if you don't believe that, you haven't studied your Bible, demons are very real, and demons are certainly activated, and far more activated as we approach the time of Jesus' second coming again. And Paul says, mark this, in the last days there will be terrible times, demonic times, times that are difficult or dangerous, or times, actually the word also means strength reducing. Terrible means it's going to reduce your strength if you're not careful. Terrible, strength reducing demonized times in the last days. So there is no question that we are closer to the return of Jesus than we've ever been before. You say, Pastor, when is he coming? I'm going to tell you exactly when he's coming. Are you ready? Write it down. I'm going to tell you when Jesus is coming back, when the Father sends him. That's when he's coming back. Okay. And that's as far as we can ever go in Scripture to understand when Christ is coming back. It will happen when the time is right, and when the Father says this is the moment, and the Father knows that time and knows that hour, but we're closer to that time than we've ever been. But please understand this, Jesus is coming back again. 
before Jesus or when Jesus ascended to heaven, he was on the Mount of Olives and he's lifted up into the clouds and the disciples are there with him as he ascends into the clouds. And then the angels or the angel speaks to the disciples gathered as they're watching Jesus go up and notice what they, what the angel said to him. They, or the angel said to them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. There's a clear promise that as surely as Jesus ascended, the resurrected Jesus ascended back to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, that he will come back one day. Now somebody would say, well, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended back to heaven. Oh, he's not really coming back. I mean, if he would have been coming back, certainly he would have come back by now. Well, let's talk about that just for a moment. When is he coming back? And how, what should be our position in terms of that? And should we even question the fact that, hey, he hasn't come back yet. Maybe he's not coming back. Well, this was something that Peter had to deal with during his day. Early church, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. People who sort of make fun of things, scoff at things. Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, people will start saying, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And so even during Peter's time, there were people saying, well, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's never going to happen. Notice what Peter continues by saying in the same chapter. But don't forget this, dear friends, that a day or a thousand years from now is like tomorrow to the Lord. He isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way. And he gives us the reason. But he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish. He's giving more time for sinners to repent. So why is Jesus not back yet? Because he's, he doesn't want anybody to perish. He's giving opportunity for as many people as possible to repent, to accept the beauty of the gospel, and to have their names written in the book of life. Are you glad your name is already there? My name is there. And we have his, our name in the book of life by faith in Christ. Now, James addresses this also. By the way, all this is my introduction. I haven't even gotten to my message yet. So you know we're going to be here for a while, okay? You need this. We need this. James 5, 7, and 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Until when? Until he comes back again. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, here's our instruction. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming. What is it? It is near. It's nearer than it's ever been before. Now listen to me today. The Christian faith is never designed to be an escapism faith. It's not like, Jesus, get me out of here now. And we have a faith in Jesus because we want to get out of this bad place. I want to tell you that the Christian faith was never designed to just get you out of something. It's designed to get you through stuff, okay? It's designed to get you through the toughest times of life and the perilous times of life and the terrible times of life. The Christian faith is designed to help you to be patient and stand firm in the midst of it. So in, these, in this season that we're in as, as human beings and as Christian believers in these terrible times, what, what should we do? We should learn how to use our faith to stand firm. It needs to be an active, persevering, patient faith because it's a faith that will carry you through the craziest life experiences and the craziest times. Think about church history just for a moment. 
Go back with me to the first century church. They were dealing with a man by the name of Nero. And they made it through, and the church still was strong. And then following Nero, many Roman emperors who were against the Christian faith and actively persecuted Christians until Constantine comes on the scene. And then we have the the dark ages the church goes through, and the church has gone through all kinds of times and will go through all kinds of times in the future. There will be a time even that's called the time of the Great Tribulation. I don't know if we'll be here for that or not. The Bible's not really clear, but I can tell you this. If we're here, your faith is designed to get you through it. Amen? Not to get you out of it, to get you through it. So I'm going to talk about today and the next several weeks, I'm going to talk about how do we stand firm? How do we stay sane in the midst of a world that's going crazy, in the midst of a world that is demonized? And we see demonic activity all around us. How do we stay sane in the midst of this kind of an environment? I'm going to give you today one word. We'll look at four or five things over the next several weeks, depending upon how much time we have for each of these different topics. And I'll kind of have to see how it develops over these next several weeks together. But I want to talk to you today about one word that is essential if you're going to stay sane in our crazy world. And here is the word for the weekend. And this is the word reverence. Would you say the word with me? This is essential. If you're going to stay sane, stand firm in a crazy world, you have to practice something called reverence. I'm going to unload this for you today, unpack it so you'll understand it. There are three aspects of reverence that you're going to need in your life to stand firm or to stay sane in this crazy world. The first kind of reverence that you must have is a clear reverence for God. This is where all health begins. It all begins with God. And by the way, it's a very simple statement, reverence for God, but just because something is simple does not in any way mean it's not profound. Many of the most profound things in life are very simple. God makes it simple so that we can understand it. And so don't in some way think, well, it's just a simple statement. It can't be very, very, very deep. Yes, it's very deep to understand what reverence is all about because this is where reverence for God is where all of your health begins. Your spiritual health, your emotional health, your mental health, your relationship health, all of it begins with a reverence for God. When did sickness and pathology and brokenness enter into our world? It entered into our world in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve lost their reverence for God. God said, Here's the, here are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to never eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to reverence me by obeying my commands and doing what I'm asking you to do. And Adam and Eve, beguiled by the serpent, made the choice to not reverence what God asked them to do. And instead, they went their way and they listened to the voice of the serpent. And their failure to reverence God created not only sin, but death and sickness and all kind of brokenness. And by the time you get to the next chapter, their family's falling apart and Cain is killing his brother Abel. And by the time you get to the chapter, chapter 6, just three chapters later, the world is in such a mess that God has to send a great flood. See, things go down very quickly when you don't have a reverence for God. And part of the problem with our world today, and I'm not just standing on a soapbox sort of uh, berating the darkness, but I am telling you this, part of the problem with our world today, the big problem with our world today is we've lost our reverence for God. That's why we have such evil around us, a lack of reverence for God. Now, what is reverence? 
If you have a pencil or a pen, you may want to write down this definition of reverence because these are the words that are vital to understand. It means honor, respect, awe, love, and loyalty. Five things. Honor, respect, awe, love, and loyalty. Honor, respect, awe, A-W-E, love, and loyalty towards someone. Here's the thing you must understand. Unless you have honor, respect, awe, love, and loyalty toward God, you will never worship God. I'm going to bring together those two terms, reverence and worship. Because reverence and worship always go together. There's a key relationship between reverence and worship. What you honor, respect, give awe to, love, and loyalty to will be what you worship. Are you tracking with me? You can't separate those two terms because reverence is what leads to worship and worship is not really worship without reverence. You can, go to the, you can go to church, attend church anywhere and walk through the doors and sing the songs and listen to a sermon and, and never really engage with God because you came and you went through the motions, but there was no connection. There was no reverence. There was no honor from your heart toward God or no awe in terms, in terms of who God is, no recognition and loyalty and love toward Him. And you might go through the rituals, but you haven't really worshiped because you can't really worship God unless there's reverence for God because reverence Reverence for God is what creates and stimulates the worship of God. And listen closely, it is the worship of God that brings wholeness to your life. It's connecting with my Creator is what brings wholeness to me. And if I'm disconnected from my Creator, I'm disconnected from the source of wholeness in my life. That's why false worship brings dysfunction. Reverent, proper worship brings wholeness to your life. This is the beginning point for spiritual health, for mental health and emotional health is to have a reverence for God that results in worship. I want you to notice the very first commandment that God gave us. Moses is on the mountain with God. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. And the very first thing out of the mouth of God and inscribed on on tablets of stone with the finger of God is this commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Now that's the very first thing that God speaks to Moses on the mountain and inscribes in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. In the second commandment, he goes on to describe false idols and images that we are not to worship, but it starts with this idea that we're to have reverence for God. Reverence for God. Did Jesus teach this? He certainly did. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with why do you think Jesus reported, rehearsed or repeated the word all four times in that one verse, that one statement that he makes? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Obviously, he's quoting from the Old Testament Shema and the Old Testament law, but he's describing the kind of love that we're to have for God, the kind of reverence that we're to have for God. So reverence produces worship, and worship produces health and wholeness in your life. You will never have health and wholeness to your fullest expression without worship. Look at Proverbs chapter 9. 
Verse number 10, I'm reading from the Amplified Version because it helps us to understand these Hebrew words. The reverent fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord means to reverence God. Anytime you see the word fear of the Lord in the Bible, it doesn't mean to be, a, be afraid of God in the sense of cowering in fear. It means to revere Him, to give you those five words again, to love, to respect, to have awe, love, and loyalty for God. The reverent fear of the Lord that is worshiping Him. Notice the connection between reverence and worship. The reverent fear of the Lord that is worshiping Him and regarding this truly awesome is the beginning and preeminent part of... It's the wisest thing you can do is to be in the reverent fear and worship of God. It's the starting point and its essence. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. In chapter 14 of the same book, Proverbs, in the reverent fear of the Lord, being reverent with God, fearing God appropriately, there is strong confidence and his children will always have a place of refuge so the bible says when we fear god there's a confidence that comes to us there's a health that comes to us and the hebrew word for confidence here also in the hebrew uh, language means security that you have and you'll never be healthy without being secure you need security in your spirit and in your soul so the primary need of your life Are you listening to me today? The primary need in your life, if you're going to be healthy, is a vertical relationship with God. Above and beyond people, things, anything else in your life. The most important thing, if you're going to stay sane in this crazy world, you better have a reverent relationship with God. This was so strong to me as I was preparing yesterday that I wrote a statement down that I'm going to read for you because I didn't want to miss anything that I felt like God was downloading to me. So listen to what the statement says. No matter where you have been in your faith, no matter where you've been in your faith, you, this is for you, all of us today, no matter where you've been in your faith in recent days, in recent months, in recent years, or even in recent decades, it is time to get serious about your relationship with God. Let me read it to you again. No matter where you have been in your faith in recent days, in recent months, in recent years, or even in recent decades, you say, well, I've, you know, my, my past is really hanging over me. It doesn't matter. Let's forget about what that is. Today is a new day. And no matter where you've been in your relationship with God in recent days, in recent weeks, in recent months, in recent years, or in recent decades, just forget all that for a moment. It is time today to get serious about your relationship with God. And I wrote one more word down in my notes, and that was the word please. I beg you today. The world is crazy, and the world's going to get crazier. Are you hearing me? The world is crazy, and the world is going to get crazier. It's going to get crazier. And what's going to keep you sane in the midst of it? What will allow you to stand firm in the midst of it? You need a reverence for God. It has to be your primary source of strength. It keeps you sane. And that reverence for God has to be something that's very personal to you. You can't borrow it from somebody else. You can lean on somebody else's reverence for a period of time. They can help you. But at some point in time, you're going to be in a situation where you need the reverence of God in your own life, in your own soul, in your own relationship with God. God. Hebrews, the writer says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, the kingdom of this world can be shaken, but the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God with, acceptably with reverence. 
and awe. Let me give you a story about this in the Bible. It was a time in the life of, of David. He was not yet king of Israel at this point in time. He was being pursued by Saul. Saul was the king at this point. David would be the second king, and Saul was trying to kill him. King Saul was trying to kill David. So David's on the run with his men. He has 600 men with him, and he's on the run throughout all the different caves and, and the wilderness of Judea. And during this particular period of time, uh, David and his men had gone out to fight a battle, and they'd uh, been away from their camp where they were. It's a place called Ziklag. If you read in the Bible, it's First Samuel chapter 30. And while they were away from their camp at Ziklag, some enemies had come in and raided their camp and burned the camp down and taken all the wives and children captive and stolen everything of value there. And so David and his men come back from battle, and they find that their camp there at Ziklag was completely destroyed. Nothing left. I mean, it was a terrible time. Completely, completely ransacked and and completely destroyed and nothing is left. And it's such a serious, terrible time that the men, David's 600 men, said, we're going to kill you, David. And they started talking about stoning David. And I want you to notice what David did. Would you agree that's a terrible time? If everybody around you says we're going to kill you, you're in trouble. Everybody around David said, we're going to kill you because you've allowed this to happen. You're our leader, and you're responsible for this. And so everybody in David's world wanted to kill him. Now, you may have had some bad times, but chances are you've never been that bad, where everybody in your world wanted to kill you. But David is in that place in his life, and I want you to notice what David did. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Please read the last sentence with me. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Where did David find his strength? He certainly didn't get it from the people around him, did he? He found his strength because he had a vertical relationship with God, a reverence for God that allowed him to continue, even in the most difficult circumstances, to continue his worship of God. And if you continue to read that passage, you'll see that God empowered David to go back and capture everything or recapture and restore everything that had been stolen from him because he had a relationship with God. Dear ones, please understand today that if you're going to find spiritual and emotional and mental health in the midst of a crazy world, your strength is going to be found not from people. Your strength is going to be found not from things. Your strength is going to be found from your personal vertical relationship with God. You must reverence God first and foremost in your life. That, I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm not even going to apologize for it because I want it to come across to you today. That's what you need more than anything else in your entire life. It's a crazy world, and it's only going to get crazier as we move toward the second coming of Jesus. And to stay sane, you're only going to stay sane. You can't stay sane if you're leaning on the world around you to keep you sane. To stay sane, you've got to have a relationship with God that keeps you sane because the world can't do that for you. Stuff can't do that for you. You need that personal interaction and relationship with God. So wherever you've been in your life, wherever you've been in your life, you say, well, I've I've been messing up. I've been away from God for a while. Okay, fine. But today, 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 say I'm coming back. I'm reestablishing my connection with God. Today I'm getting serious about my relationship with God. Number two, the second thing that we need is reverence for God's instructions. I'm going to cover this really quickly so I can get to my third point, but I do want to talk about this just for a moment. 
This is kind of implied in what we said before, but I did want to bring, bring it out a little bit separately. Because reverence for God is shown by reverence for God's word. One of the ways that you show that you revere God is you revere his word. You revere his commandments. It's a wonderful day in our lives when we finally realize that God's instructions to us in this book are not designed to be a burden to us, but they're designed to be a blessing to us. See, a lot of people live their lives in following God as though this book is a burden. Oh, my goodness, there's another thing. I've got to, I've got to stop this and start that. And my goodness, this book is just a book that brings burden to my life. It's so hard to follow God. No, it's not hard to follow God. When you make a decision to obey God, He will give you the power to do what His Word asks you to do. He never asks you to do anything that he doesn't provide the power through his spirit to enable you to do it. So it's not hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian on your own if you're trying to do it in your own strength and in your own power without that worship relationship with God. But if you've got that going for you, there's strength and power to allow you to find that this book is not a burden. This book is a blessing to you. Okay. So every time you open up the pages of this book and you discover a, 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 an instruction, a commandment, you say, oh my goodness, this is something that will bring blessing into my life. Notice how John describes it. In fact, this is the love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. So when you begin to understand this, it changes everything in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says it this way. As God was giving his people the law, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth, and these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you do what? Obey the Lord your God. What I hope will happen in your life as I hope that every time you pick up this book, or maybe you read your Bible on your iPad or your phone or wherever you're reading the Word from, wherever you might pick up your, 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 your Bible, that every time you read, you open some looking for a blessing from this book today. This book is not a burden to me. This book is a blessing to me. Amen. Jesus said this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you, if you do them. And then we find these words as well of Jesus in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, what? Obey my commandments. So how do you stay sane in a crazy world? Do we agree the world's crazy? It's a crazy world. It's a demonized world. How do you stay sane? As believers in a crazy world, first of all, you have a reverence for God. The fear and reverence of God begins to take control of your life, and it leads to genuine worship from your heart to Him, that you have a meaningful, personal connection, ongoing connection with God. It's not ritual. It's not just something you do because it's a pattern of your life. You do it because there's a, there's a connection with God. And then also there's a reverence for everything that God says because this book is a blessing to me. It's not a burden to me. And let's go now to the final point together of these three. Third point is you have to have reverence for God-designed life rhythms. I'm going to talk about life rhythms for just a little bit because this might be an unusual phrase for some of you. What is a rhythm? A rhythm is a beat, is it not? All right? 
That's what a rhythm is. So oftentimes, like in our worship team or music that you hear, there's a rhythm that's set, and it's usually set uh, by the rhythm instruments. Sometimes that rhythm instrument will be a rhythm guitar, a rhythm piano, and certainly by a drums. Drums set a rhythm to a song. And if one of the players get out of rhythm, everybody knows it, correct? You ever heard that phrase? Well, he's marching to the beat of his own drummer, okay? Right? What does that mean? He's out of step with what everybody else is doing, okay? So it means he's not in rhythm. What I want you to know is that when God established the world, he established a rhythm to our world. And our job is to get in rhythm with God's rhythm. There's a rhythm to the world. Let me prove this to you and give you a couple examples. What's the rhythm of the world? The rhythm of the world is that you don't wake up every morning wondering which way the sun's going to rise, do you? Every morning it rises in the east and sets in the west, right? You don't wake up one morning and say, I wonder if it's coming from the north today. No, it never comes from the north. It always comes from the east and goes to the west, right? Always, okay? In fact, the Bible is clear about rhythms. Look at what it says here in the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verse 22. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest. That's a rhythm, okay? You, you have to do this first before you have this, okay? And so you can't expect this if you haven't done this. And so there's a rhythm to life. And so there's a time when it's appropriate. The springtime is when you do your planting, and the fall is when you do your harvesting. You don't generally do your planting in the fall and try to harvest because you've got winter in between there. And so the Bible says as long as the earth remains, there will be a planting and a harvest. It's a rhythm and cold and heat. In other words, once there's a summer, there's going to be a winter. And there are four seasons as we know them here in our area. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. And we, we know that they have an order. We know that once one finishes, we can anticipate what the next one is going to be. Now, it varies in terms of the actual time that it actually arrives, when winter arrives. We know certain periods of those times. But we have a rhythm to life, summer and winter, day and night. You don't wonder, is there going to be a day and a night? No, there's always a day and always a night. So there's a rhythm to to life. The writer of Hebrews says it, excuse me, Ecclesiastes says it this way, for everything there is a, there's a rhythm, there's a season, a time for every activity under the sun. God's established rhythms and order for our lives. And I want to talk to you about what this rhythm, this God rhythm is for your life. And there are five elements to the rhythm of life that you need to get in sync with God with if you want to stay healthy. Do you want to stay healthy in your life? Do you? Do you want to stay sane in a crazy world? Do you? Reverence for God, reverence for His Word. And you can have reverence for God and reverence for His Word and still be out of step with the rhythm of God. And there are a lot of people that love God, but they're not in link with the rhythm of God. I'm going to give you five rhythms that you need to look at in your life to stay sane, okay? Now, by the way, let me just say this. All, this part of the message could be a series in and of itself. I could do an entire series on these five things. I'm not going to today, okay? I'm going to give you just a little bit enough to help you think about them in your life. We've already talked about the first one. You need a rhythm of worship in your life. It needs to be a rhythm. Rhythmically, you're worshiping God. It's a rhythm of your life. That involves two aspects, corporate worship and individual worship. You need corporate worship. You need to be together. And I'm preaching to the choir today because you're here, but it's just a reminder of this very important principle in your life. You need to gather with the people of God because in gathering with the people of God, something happens in corporate worship that doesn't happen when you're by yourself. 
That's why God called people to gather and assemble together. That's why we do this thing called church, not because we just want to kind of have fun and get together and have a little club. No, we're not here to have a club. We're here to worship God together as a family, together as a group of people to encounter God together because God shows up when his people show up in a unique way. He shows up where two or three have gathered together in my name. Jesus said, there's an anointing there. I'm present with you in those moments. So there needs to be rhythm to to your corporate worship. Well, yeah, pastor, I show up a couple times every month. I'll see what happens with that. Okay. I'm here for Christmas. Might be back for Easter as long as you do the play. Are you with me today? That's not a rhythm. You're marching to the beat of your own drum when you do that. Did you hear what I said? You're making the decision of when you're going to come to church and when you're not. What I'm telling you, go ahead and make the decision... If I'm healthy, and if I have transportation, I'm making a decision. I will be in the house of God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. It's not something I pray about every week. And I stick my spiritual finger, what's the wind doing today? Oh, my goodness, it's raining. I don't know if I can get out in that. But there's a rhythm to your life and it becomes a part. You study the life of Jesus and where do you find him on the Sabbath? Every Sabbath he's in the, he's in the synagogue somewhere, okay? On every Sabbath. And so there's a rhythm to your life. We need that. And then you need the rhythm of your own personal worship with God. The rhythm of worship. Are you in a rhythm with your worship? So it just happens. You're not... Wondering, is it going to happen this week or not? It's a consistent, or is it going to happen today in your daily life? So you need the rhythm of worship. Here's the second thing. You need the rhythm of work. Somebody said that's a four-letter word. Yes, it is. But it's a good four-letter word. Work is a gift from God. It's something that healthy people do and something that we need to do to stay healthy in our lives. You need work in your life. Now, I understand there are different seasons of your life. Maybe you're a young mom and you're home with your kids, but that's work, is it not? Hey, tell me, that's work, okay? Or maybe you're retired and your main job has, you no longer do that particular job, but you still have a life, you still have something to give. I'm always reminding people, no matter how old you are, if you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> Amen? If you're not dead, you're not done. So if you're still living, you're still kicking... You can pray a prayer. You, you can intercede for me. There's some, there's some kind of work that you can do if you're still alive. You may not even have your physical capabilities, but there's something that God can put on your heart to do because we all were created by God to be productive with our life, to do something meaningful and productive in the, with the energies God has given to us. And work isn't a curse. Work is a blessing. Part of the problem with our world today is we're losing our work ethic. Are you hearing me? We're losing the understanding that work is a part of our worship, and we're raising a generation of people who don't necessarily value work in the same way, perhaps, that some of us were raised in understanding it, but, but with a deeper biblical awareness that work is a part of your worship. Take a look at these verses with me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it. 
and take care of it. Now, please notice something. This is before the curse. This is before the fall of man. God didn't wait until after the curse and say, oh, you're cursed. I'm going to make you work. No, God gave him work, meaningful work to take care of the garden before he ever fell into sin. So it's created by God. Ecclesiastes tells us this. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. That is indeed, or this is indeed, a gift from God. The Ten Commandments again. Look at these, this verse. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. Very valuable to understand. Paul the Apostle reminds us of the importance of our work and putting our whole heart into our work because work is something that's part of our worship. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, that the master you're serving is Christ. And so we need to view our work as a valuable part of our life. God, would you just allow me to do something productive with my life so that my actions that I'm investing in the rhythm of my life I'm learning not to be lazy. I'm learning to be productive with the energies you've given me. I'm making a difference with my life. I'm doing my work as unto you as a part of my worship. And if, you, if you're slack in your work, please listen to me. If you're slack in your work, you're slack in your worship. Whatever, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for who? Is, is that not worship? Working for, so whatever job God has given you, get into the rhythm and give your best because God, and by the way, what I've learned over the years is people that do this are the people that get promoted as well. They move forward in life and they find themselves more greatly blessed as a part of it. And so our work is valuable to us. It's a rhythm. Worship, work. Here's the third area that we can talk about for a few moments. Get in the rhythm of rest, recreation, and renewal. This is a part of the healthy rhythm of life. To schedule times and to make sure that you are establishing rest, recreation, and renewal. No land is productive without rest periods. No person is productive without rest periods. No person is healthy without rest periods. Take a look at these verses with me for a moment. Rhythm of life. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. He finished what? The work. So even God works. He had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested from all the work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. We all know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did God rest because he was tired? He did not. God didn't say, man, I've been creating all week long. I'm so tired. I'm worn out. All this creating stuff is really wearing me out. God didn't do that. God rested because he established a rhythm, a principle. It's called the principle of the Sabbath. Now, we're under the new covenant. We don't establish a day, particularly of Sabbath rest. But there needs to be a principle of Sabbath rest in your life. You need to learn how to rest. And one of the ways that we rest is by sleeping well. I'm going to get real spiritual right now. Okay. Do you know that our culture today, we're some of the most sleep-deprived people in history. It's, a, it's actually, in some ways, an epidemic. People are operating uh, very much of their lives sleep-deprived. Now, why is that? 
probably different reasons. One of the suggested reasons for some of our sleep deprivation is the, 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 uh, the proliferation of our, our electronic devices. Some of you are sleeping with your iPhone. You got a new bed partner, okay? I so say you're waking up at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning and checking your Instagram and checking your Facebook and texting somebody and in the middle of the night you're up and back and forth with your phone. And every time you turn that phone on, do you know what's happening? There's a light that comes on. And what does that light do to your brain? That light affects certain enzymes and certain aspects of your brain and certain chemicals in your brain. It activates that. And then you try to go back to sleep and it's interrupting you. If you can't control that part of your life, you should go put your... Put your phone in your microwave downstairs, okay? <laughs> Just do something, okay? Just f don't forget to take it out in the morning, okay? That's all we say to you, okay? But the point being is that these are things that we, we have to take. These are rhythm because if you get out of the rhythm of good sleep, are you going to be your best person? No, you can't be your best person if you don't have rest. And so you need this rest in your life. It's valuable. It's very important to us. Look at this verse. I'm preaching good this morning. Yeah, I, I'm not asking for a clap. I just, I just patted my own self on the back right then, okay? But in the seventh year, the land, is, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. So God said, even the land needs it. How about Jesus? Do you think Jesus ever decided to rest? Let's see. Mark 6, 31. Then because so many people were coming and going that they, they, Jesus and the disciples, did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some, get some rest. So you need to establish times of rest in your life. And along with rest, you need times of recreation, refreshing. Let me talk about that briefly just for a moment. And I wish I had more time to talk about this, but I don't. I'll just give you what i got right now. There's a difference between amusement, entertainment, and recreation. Subtle differences, but nevertheless differences. You can be entertained and be amused and not experience re recreation. Recreation is to recreate, recreate energy. It's what builds you up on the inside and gives you a full tank of gas, so to speak, Okay. And you can amuse yourself and entertain yourself and still be drained on the, in the soul. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever gone on vacation and came back tired than you were before you left? Okay. It's like, oh, man, I need a vacation from my vacation. Okay, right? Right? We've all said that kind of stuff before. Why? Because we were busy. We did stuff. We entertained ourselves. And it was fun. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with amusement or entertainment. It's just not always recreation. Okay. So you need something in your life that you know when I do that, it builds me, it, it fills my tank back up again. I know the things in my life that work for me that I try to work into my life. And I try to invest some in that in terms of my own resources so that I make sure that that's a part of my life. And you need to find what recreates me because that's essential to your spiritual, emotional health. It keeps you sane in a crazy world. Now, let me go to my last two points here. Last section. We'll give you these five things. I want to bring these two together for us, okay? If you want to stay sane in a crazy world, what's the word on the board here? I know you don't want to say it. Go ahead. But you got to say it, okay? But what do you need? Exercise. But there's one more thing. Proper 
You say, Pastor, I thought you were going to give me a Bible lesson today. I didn't think you were going to start meddling in my life, okay? I am giving you a Bible lesson. I'm going to prove this to you in just a moment. Now, the Bible doesn't say, as far as I can tell, the Bible doesn't say anything about exercise. I mean, specifically, I tried to find a verse that says, thou shalt exercise. I couldn't find it in the Bible. <laughs> so, Paul does talk about, you know, working out in the gym is good for you, but, it's, but God, exercising to godliness is more valuable. He talks about that. So there's, but I, I believe the reason that exercise specifically is not found in the Bible is because the, uh, the, the society in which the Bible was written, the societies in which the Bible was written were very agrarian in nature, so they were very labor-intensive in the things that they did. They got plenty of exercise, okay? So God didn't have to talk to them about that. But it is a principle. You need to utilize your body and exercise your body. Now, the Bible does have quite a bit, especially in the Old Testament, about diet. Does it not? All through the pages of the Old Testament, you find God telling his people what they're to eat and what they're not to eat. Now, we're not under those regulations anymore as Christians. But why did God even talk to them about diet? Because in their day, there were certain things that were healthier for them to eat and things that were less healthy for them to eat by reason of preservation and things of that nature. And so God had to make sure that they were keeping up with their diet because that affects you spiritually. It affects you mentally. What you eat affects you mentally. You know that? Because what you're eating goes to your brain, okay? It feeds your brain. Your exercise, there are endorphins that are released in a good, healthy way when you exercise that are good for you. They, actually, you can, you can literally, some treatments for depression, uh, just the treatment of exercise can lift people from depression. Think about that for a moment, okay? Just doing something active. Now you say, is that in the Bible at all? Yes. I'm going to show it to you. I think you would agree with me that if you studied the Bible at all, you know a man, a prophet by the name of Elijah. Anybody ever heard of Elijah the prophet? Would you agree he's a great man, right? No question about him. In fact, he's so great that you see in 1 Kings chapter 18 that he actually goes against 450 false prophets and God rains down upon them. He slays all 450 false prophets. I mean, you talk about a great man of God. Fire coming down from heaven when Elijah talks great man of God. But right after that event in 1 Kings chapter 18, where he slays 450 prophets of Baal, and he has this great moment, he's spiritually and emotionally drained, and then he finds out that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel want to kill him. And so he has to run for his life, and he runs through the Jezreel Valley, and he's running up and down that valley, and he's expending his energy, not only emotionally, but also physically he's expending energy because Ahab wants to kill him, and Jezebel wants to kill him. And I will tell you, Jezebel was a crazy lady. She's crazy. I mean, she's crazy, crazy. And I want you to see what happens here in the story. Elijah was so fear, anxiety, emotion. Would you agree? It's a terrible time. He's feeling fear and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. What is that? Depression. So he's got anxiety and depression. Let me say it again. The great man of God is suffering with anxiety and depression. Does that make you feel any better? Look at what happens next. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, 
for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. So Elijah's at the lowest place of his life, and he says, God, would you please just take my life? I can't do this anymore. He's completely spent. He's living in a crazy world where Ahab and Jezebel are trying to destroy him, and he just says, I'm so afraid, so anxious, so depressed that I want to die. Now, I want to show you how God treats him in this moment. How does God help Elijah stay sane in his crazy world? The Bible tells us exactly what God did for him. Are you ready? Then he lay down, and what did he do? He slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Let me ask you, who who baked the bread for him? Come on, who baked the bread for him? God did. Okay, an angel baked the bread for him. Who provided the water for him? God did. Okay, it was a catering service. Okay. (laughs) Angelic catering service happening here. Okay. Got it? So, what did he do? What did he do? Read those words. He did what? He ate, ate, drank, lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. Or, or, please notice this, or the journey ahead will be what? Too much for you. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.